Yo, what's good, everybody? Back with another episode of Two Really Dudes. I got my man here. I stacked the boss, Big what up? Frito. What up, what up, what up? What's good, man? I think we seven episodes in or eight, I want to say. This is, this is I want to say eight. Eight Yo. episodes in. Yeah, I was looking at a flyer, man, and it said, um, I think like March 28th was our first episode. Wow. And so, yo, we've been going hard for a few weeks with bringing dope content, bringing yeah. speakers and all of that. But, you know, for the uh, for the people that are watching right now, I just want to encourage you to uh, to like it, to share it, to go on YouTube and just keep putting it out there as we keep trying to put out this dope content. Share it right now. Hit a like button. Let us know that you're feeling it, that you're receiving it, and um, you know, and we just can keep this going, man. So, what's up with you, dude? Man, wow, it's been a crazy week, crazy two weeks, man. A lot of stuff going on. Um, I've been trying my best not to get so immersed in the news, but you know, when you're on social media, it's hard for you to miss what's going on. So, uh, before we actually get into all of that, I actually feel like it might be better to bring our guest out because I feel like he can be a part of this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, just so much going on right now. Um, but yeah, man, but let me get into it. So, man, I feel like I'm on a roll. As Yo, far as man. my alma mater is concerned, you think you need to get somebody in from your alma mater, man. Yo, damn, <laughs> my alma mater don't exist no more. <laughs> so look, man, look, man, check this out. So this is this is uh, I'm this is another really proud moment for me because, and coincidentally, this is another one from the School of Business and Industry, the school that my wife attended, you know, at Florida A and M. Um, man, they've just like you know produced a whole bunch of giants in industry and just about every industry you could think of. And this is 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 not short of that. So uh person I'm gonna bring out, man, he he sent me something, you know, a little blurb about himself, and I want to read it because you know, you know, we no one else can describe you better than you can. So right. I want to read it to you. He's a self-proclaimed race man, mm. a lover of culture, he's a history buff. He strives to bring voice to the voiceless. I think that we all should strive for that. He's an international and global business leader. Uh, and mm -hmm. I'll let you guys, I'll let him tell a little bit more about himself um, specific to that. He's a family man. He spelled it children. <laughs> he's a children's daddy, a wife's man, a mama's son. And he's passionate about microeconomics. And he'll probably get a little bit into that. But without further ado, man, I want to introduce my guy, Javante. And the Willie. Bring them out. Bring them out. Bring them out. Bring them out. It's hard to yell. <laughs> what's good? What's good? That's a completely different, different vibe than the one I just left with uh, Jill. No, man. That's right. How, how, how was it, man? Uh, just, just a little, how was your experience? Was the internet working? Was, was Did they have high speed? They, they, you know, they, they, they had their, um, they started on time for, for the ladies, you know, about 10 minutes late, you know, fashionably yeah. late, <laughs> right. uh, you know, the internet is working fine. They're vibing. It's all love. They're sharing stories. You know, they're really good friends. And, uh, you know, when they play those bangers, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I think what I what I've learned in this, this whole versus world, you know, once they started doing this, like how many hits Man. These people got like, you know, sometimes if you're not really like into an artist and you listen right, to them right. casually, yeah. but then you realize when you watch those kinds of like battles, like, man, I, 
I can literally name, I, now I can, I can name a whole bunch of them and I recognize a whole bunch of the hits that they were playing. And even right. some of the stuff that they played that may not necessarily be popular were things that I heard. So I think that's actually pretty dope though. Yeah. 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 They, they soundtrack our lives. So, you know, yeah, great to enjoy with everyone tuned in because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, right now memory lane, it's like sitting in the back of the school bus. Mm-hmm. Playing, uh, you know, all the songs on the way home from school, you know, so right, right, right. So, look, man, let's get into it, man. It's been a crazy week, crazy, crazy week. Uh, as you all know, obviously, unless you've been living under a rock, um, about the shooting that took place, just another one. It just feels like we we talk about this, um, quite often, and it's almost as if we're becoming a little bit desensitized, but I don't want us to get to that point because I think that, um, we got to keep it top of mind because I think what, what the media does is it, it, it's almost as if like they're giving you a numbing agent by playing it over and over so you can become desensitized. And I think that that's the trap. Um, but what I'm speaking of is Ahmaud Arbery and um, the debacle that we all saw uh, recorded on video and just some of the new stuff that's coming out about it. What, what were you guys thoughts initially about that? Man. um, Man. So, you know, uh, I think, man, this is, I, I think how, I think sometimes we tend to look at this in the sense of this is America acting outside of normal and that this isn't, um, you know, that this is a shock to us. But I feel like this is America's pastime. This is as American as apple pie, you know, right. hunting and shooting black men. Like this is, this is the cycle of our society. And unfortunately, in my opinion, we're going to be back at the same place because another unarmed black man, you know, God forbid, is about to get shot and murdered. Yeah. And I think what's frustrating is the fact that America continues to remind us of how, how, how much we're not valued because these two men were able to stay at home for, for two months, for more than two months. Since February, this dude was killed and they were right. just home chilling and acting like, you know, ain't nothing going on. And, and, and if that video didn't unearth, if that video ain't come out, they would have been scot-free, relaxing, drinking, drinking a six-pack, and doing whatever they do. Um, Waiting yeah. on the next black man to jog by. Yep. Yeah, the, the, the mendacity and audacity of it all is really, it, it, it's a peculiar thing that is special to, to, to white men in America, where, you know, the video emerged because their friend who filmed it released it in the hopes that it would calm all of the qualms that were happening locally there. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They were in the right. And I, I, I've often explained that our existence, you know, in antebellum versus post antebellum was one of an asset and then immediately turned into a liability. Right. So we're treated like vermin. So, you know, if, if, if a rat is in your house, uh, you know, you're nice if you let it live, right. but no one means twice if you kill it. Right, right. And I think that's often how we're viewed, you know, is that our utilization in this country ran out a long time ago. The rich white folks were mad at us because we were no longer assets to them. The poor white folks were mad at us because now we'd be willing to work for less than what they would work for. Right. Uh, and so, you know, my grandma used to say, we they got us coming and going. Yeah. We kept coming and going, you know, and, and nothing has really changed around that 
and nothing will until we're able to put our put our own footprint on ensuring that we have more than just a philosophical and a, a, a symbolizing voice, uh, but we actually have a lot more stake into the wealth, the GDP of this country. You know, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it comes down to that. And it doesn't matter what type of economic system you live in, capitalism, communism, socialism. I've lived in all three or right. worked in all three for sure. At the end of the day, the GDP matters. Right. And so they look at us and when they look across, uh, you know, if we're not contributing to that, we become seen as vermin. Yeah. And so we have these crazy white men who uh, believe that in their heart of hearts that they didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And you right, you raise a good point, Javante, because what I what I'm hearing and what I understand is even if these men are convicted, you know, and we're hoping that they get a conviction. We know the pattern of these yet to be United States of America is that it still does not stop the cycle of racism. Yeah. You know, and and, and the continual uh, murder and destruction of black and brown bodies, particularly black bodies, even mm -hmm. if they get a conviction, because you've seen prior times like this stuff continues to happen. And so I hear what you're saying about the GDP and the value of black bodies. And, um, you know, and just all the things that you're you're discussing now. So I'd love more if you elaborate. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I, and I will. But I want to be very clear in stating that I am not saying that. Our GDP is our key to our safety. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to GDP is key to our safety. Yeah. Right? And I'm not saying that that is required for us to exist. Mm hmm. I'm saying we should be able to exist because we're humans just like everyone else. Right. Right. But what I'm saying is there won't be a lot of there won't be a lot of change on their end until we're able to show them in the language that they speak and the language that they do speak specifically is about the value. Now, if you just contrast and compare the differences between how we're viewed African-Americans, African people in this country, versus Indians that come, Indian Americans, you know, Asian Americans, um, you know, the, the, the more recent Eastern European immigrants, there's a huge difference. And a lot of that difference is tied into what can be done or what is perceived can be done for the country. They own assets, intellectual property. We have our, we've had our assets stolen and we give a lot of them away in terms right. of our intellectual property. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's about how can we create an environment where our value is known and then we protect that. And then we protect that. And I'm, I'm, I'm not mincing words here. When I say protect that, I mean with arms, our own police, our own communities protected by us. Then that's when government municipalities at the local state federal level will then say okay this is a protected class yeah second class citizens yeah 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 you know and until a lot of things change and what we're going to talk about today we're going to remain second class citizens until some some fundamental shifts happen in this country and one of mm -hmm. them is repairing the wrongs of the past yeah you 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 mentioned a lot of powerful things in in what you just uh, spoke about and i think that this is a good time to transition into the topic at hand as far as what we want to talk about today um 
and setting up or even talking about this this topic uh, with everyone that I've spoken to about it leading up to this, um, there seems to be a negative stigma associated with the word reparations, mm -hmm. right? And part of the reason why I selected you to even come on the show to even talk about this, because you have a, a worldview about reparations that I feel is a little bit more palatable for those that one, don't understand what it really means, Mm -hmm. Two that have either an extreme view of it or, or or people that may not necessarily embrace the idea of it at all. People that look like us and folks that don't look like us. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to talk about the debt, you know, mm -hmm. the debt that America owes, the mm -hmm. one that they choose not to speak about and the constant um, barrage of violence and, and all the things that we experience in this country and continue to experience. And I want you to make a connection between those things we've experienced, continue to experience and reparations and your idea behind why it is such a crucial thing in order for, for us to be made whole. Yeah, so so let's start with, with the latter part of the question and why it's so crucial. Sure. Um, I am a strong proponent of black business, supporting black business, supporting black folk, doing all that we can with what we have to advance ourselves uh, in the ways that we can, uh, and advance ourselves further than our ancestors did. I completely believe in Black-owned businesses. I mean, my, my, my life or my life's work has been around that idea. But I know fundamentally, uh, if we produce the equitable amount of businesses that we should have, uh, which is much less than we do now, uh, if we do that, if everyone is 100% employed, uh, we still have a mighty long race to run to even get to uh, the same level as our counterparts, white, um, Asian, or even Hispanic in this country. Uh, what we can do for ourselves, no matter what it is, through education, through good behavior, through uh, economics, it can only be seen as lifeboats. Hmm. We're sinking. The ship is sunk. We're sinking. And those things are just lifeboats. But if we want to put our feet on dry land, we have to talk about reparations. So coming out of the clouds a little bit to talk about this, what I mean is specifically studies have been done. Economists have done studies and said for the average black person to catch up with the average white person, we would have to run a perfect race of building wealth for 270 years while white folks build nothing at all. Wow. Wow. This is where we are. And and that gap is not a gap that happened by happenstance. The U.S. government is the reason for that gap. The U.S. government has specifically and very prescriptively done things throughout history, which has kept us from any type of wealth accumulation. So you look at all of our numbers, you know, right now, today, you talked about the right now, what's happening. And, you know, we can talk about the violence, we'll get there. But when you look at what's happening with this pandemic and how it's affected small businesses, small businesses employ 75% of all Americans. Okay, most small businesses, an overwhelming majority, 85% of small businesses, owners, Say that they hire people who look like them. Okay, black people 
only have 2 million, some say 2.3 million black owned businesses. 98% of those businesses are sole proprietorships. Hmm. So that means they're not hiring anybody. So who is hiring us? So why our unemployment rate is always double or triple the national average is simply because there are not enough jobs for us. Why are there not enough jobs for us? We know that we're not inept. We know there has to be something more specifically, you know, that would apply to that. As we look in this pandemic and the small businesses and how they've been affected, you know, the PPP uh, loan program that was set up, the, the law, the way that that was written was that you can get money for every employee you have. Well, if 98% of our 2 million businesses are sole proprietorships, you don't qualify. 2 million, 2 million black folks that ain't getting, ain't getting the PPP. That's 5% of our people. You got to take, you know, we got 40 million folks and that's 2 million are just employed by that. But we got 40 million folks. If you do a third, a third, a third, let's make it, you know, very simple math. And let's just round up and let's just say it's uh, 13 million. You know, let's say it's 13 million, a third, a third, a third, man, woman, children. So you take off a third of that 13 for you up at, at 27 million folks and you got 2 million. You t- you're talking almost 8% of black folks who, who are stranded in the middle of a pandemic. Right. Something's right. not right with that, right? So how did we get there? Well, we know that we don't grow our businesses because banks don't loan to black owned businesses. Why don't banks loan to black owned businesses? Well, for a very long time, banks loans weren't secured. So all of the hub zone loans that come from the federal government, all of the uh, small business loans through the Small Business Association that banks are doing, but they know that their security is backed or, or, or they have a back security in this loan product. Um, it wasn't going to black owned businesses and not, it wasn't only going to them. It could not go. The law was written where it could not go to black owned businesses. The same thing with mortgages. You know, we can go on and on about how we got here. And this is all post-slavery, right? So we're not even talking about slavery, but the but the atrocities that have happened. When we talk about, you know, similar things that have happened where the government tricked off a trillion dollars in like six weeks with all these PPP things, and we have been kept out of this. This happened in, in 1933, 34 with uh, FDR's New Deal. Black mm-hmm. folks weren't a part of the New Deal and not just weren't a part of it. We were kept out of the New Deal. Right. I mean, systematically. Yeah. And even the new we were kept out of the Constitution. So, yeah. you know, yeah. all of the major doc, I mean, all of the major documents and major laws that have been uh, implemented in this country have left black people out of it while they have always use our bodies to develop and build their infrastructure. Right. So it, you know, so what you're saying is like it's it's a it's it's just American as apple pie. You know, <laughs> it's like this is what they think of us. This is how they treat us. And so, yeah. yeah. So so the government has I mean, I want people to understand this, that, you know, we hear terms thrown around now and they're politicized. And a lot of times and they're talked about during mm-hmm. election cycles, we hear gerrymandering, we hear redlining. But what that means from a financial perspective is much deeper than just somebody didn't let us play in the, in, the, in, the, in the sandbox. What that means is, you know, the growth of when they talk about the greatest generation. Right. So a lot of our parents, our, our grandparents were part of the greatest generation. Mm-hmm. Most of our grandparents were part of this other generation that was sort of like a micro generation like Gen X. It was called uh, the silent generation. But 
but some folks that were born, you know, in the 19 uh, teens, they were the end of the greatest generation. Those were the ones who came back from World War II mainly. Um, our, our grandparents usually were the ones who were in Korea, you know, but the World War II generation, they came back and um, immediately there was an economic boom coming out of the Great Depression. The war brought us out of the Great Depression. Okay. And then with all of this newfound uh, resource from the war, the spoils of war, basically, uh, it was put into the New Deal and programs like this. And specifically, I want to highlight the FHA program, the Fair Housing Act program, which later turned into Fair Housing Administration. The Fair Housing Act simply said that we're going to give low interest loans and they're going to be backed by government bonds. And so lenders can feel a lot better about lending low interest to, to, to more riskier profiles. Right. It would not have gotten past the Dixie Cracks if FDR did not agree with the Dixie Cracks that black people would not be allowed. So how mm -hmm. did that happen? Well, that happened through redlining. So what happened from 1934 to 1968? We saw the greatest accumulation of wealth and wealth transfer from a generation to the next generation. So from that silent generation, from the from the greatest generation to the silent generation to the baby boomers. OK, our parents were baby boomers. OK, right. now this generation accumulated and then passed on to the baby boomers a great amount of wealth. It's documented as the, it's the greatest wealth accumulation in this nation, 1934 all the way through 1986. Okay, so from 1934 to 1968, it was illegal for a bank to give an FHA loan to black folks. Wow. 98% of those loans went to white folks. 0% of those loans went to black folks. And 2% was Asian or something else that was able to sneak in there. But 0% went to us until 1968. Did overt racism stop in 1968? Absolutely no. So we weren't getting FHA loans until well into the 80s. My sister, my oldest sister was born in 1968. All right. So we're not talking about a long time ago, but I'm highlighting that because that's just one of the many atrocities from an economic standpoint. We were literally kept from the greatest wealth accumulation this country has ever seen. Now, this isn't even talking about, you know, what happened during slavery, when America became America, we're talking about simply what has happened in the modern times, right? When we know people who were born in these times. So when we talk about reparations, this isn't just some fanciful idea of things that need to be repaired from 250 years ago uh, when slavery was booming and cotton was king. We're talking about things right now that affect all of us. Who had their house passed on to them from their parents? Exactly. Not y'all. I know right. you. I tell me. That's I right. Know, right. But when I ask white folks my age, oh yeah, my mom got her house from her grandparents. Yep. They bought it for five thousand, and now it just sold for five hundred thousand. That yeah. type of wealth accumulation isn't normal. Yes, yeah. American dream we've been kept from. Right. right, and you know, and you know what's real interesting about those that are against reparations, right? And they, they try to throw that word socialism out, but. What right. is social security? That right. is, you know, what is social security? That is the government giving you money to help yeah. you survive. And then the other thing too, which is funny, is like, as soon, <laughs> right. And as soon as dollars start affecting the one percent or or the elite or you know whites in a sense, right? Yeah. That's when we come up. That's when we can find two point six trillion dollars. Yeah. Right. To to help their businesses and to help them come up. When it comes to giving back to black folk, all that they've done. 
oh, we don't want to do that. It's, it's, it's all that other stuff. Right, right. They did that in six weeks. Right. Yeah. They found so, money. <laughs> so, 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 by the way, the magic number for reparations is about twelve trillion. Easy. Okay. So yeah. that's the number that people are are the people who study this, who have studied this, and they're they're, they're Harvard educated, and you know, you know, the the, the top of whatever. You know, I, I, I went to FAMU, so I'm like, okay, Harvard, whatever. But, right, you know, right. Harvard, something special. So Harvard educated folks, you know, these folks say yeah, the number is about twelve trillion. Okay, so they just tricked off two point three trillion in six weeks. Right. Right. We could be repaired if you, if someone said we're gonna pay reparations over 15, 20 years, nobody would blink an eye. Easy. Nobody would blink an eye. Right. You know, and, and that's 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 the that's the disheartening part. And I I tell you it's disheartening from the standpoint of we're so quick to regurgitate some of the defenses or denials of what we have heard without understanding the full story where we can't apply the right amount of pressure to even have it be a conversation worth having. Yeah. So let's talk let's talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. So one, in order for reparations to even be a thought on the government's mind, someone will have to be willing to sit at the table, right? Mm-hmm. Before you get into what does a reparations package look like, can you speak a little bit more about how do you get people to the table from both sides? People that oppose it or people that are in power that can actually stri- stroke a pen and make it happen, and those that are asking for it. Well, I'm 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 a I'm a I'm a I'm I'm a I'm a believer, <laughs> and so uh, my faith tells me that you know uh, MLK said it best: the moral arc of the universe will always bend towards justice. So I'm cautiously optimistic that it's heading in the right direction. And what I mean by that is it's simple. Um, and it's taken 25 years, but it, or, or or actually more now. It's taken close over 30 years, uh, 32 years to be exact. But we're getting the specific uh, we're getting the specific type of pressure that we need now, and it's coming from grassroots. You've heard for the first time in the history of this country, I believe, that reparations made it to the debate stage for mm-hmm. presidential candidacies. John Conyers introduced a bill called H.R. 40 in 1988. It sat dormant in the House for nearly 30 years without much of a mention. Uh, The Congressional Black Caucus wouldn't get behind it because they didn't hear from their folks Hmm. that said this is important. But Bill H.R. 40 uh, from 1988 has stated to call on the United States to just do a study on reparations. So on the merit of it and if it's if it's feasible to do. And so, you know, I always say this time past the civil rights uh, that really was, you know, 1968 was was really the last year that we we won and got a lot of, let me say, uh, the, those spoils of war. Past that time, we got uh, uh, into this wilderness place where we really didn't fight for much of anything. But from that time, oh hey, that's what's up, man. That's what it's all about, man. We fighting for. That's oh, right. Yeah, exactly. But but from that time, you know, um, we we really haven't done much of anything, 
And so now the reason why folks are talking about it is because it's becoming more of a conversation that needs to be had about the merit, number one, but then about the juice. We've got some folks in Congress now, Karen Bass out of California is a bad woman and she presses really hard and and, and she has enough of her and uh, 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 Jackson Lee, Sheila Jackson Lee have yeah, pressed really right. hard to get this where they say they have the votes now. They haven't voted on it yet, but if it just passes the House and gets to the Senate, mm -hmm. um, then it becomes something where, you know, that's a conversation that has to be had on the mainstream. And it starts there. But one thing I do want to say is not to get that confused with just voting. And but I also want to say we cannot compromise what's important to us. Right. Right. And what I'm saying by that is a lot of the times we get lost in the sauce because we hear about a majority group saying this is what is important. But that's that stuff doesn't really affect us all the time. Yeah, um, because, you know, my, 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 my dad said it, my granddaddy used to say, you know, uh, white folks catch cold, black folks catch flu. Right. right. And right. so it's usually been bad for us. Right. So we've had to we've created these. Um, almost subterfused and underground black markets to solve very complex problems like healthcare, yeah. right? So homopathy, you know, natural care, that's, you know, that's our people, we do that, right? And that's because we couldn't necessarily, and I'm not saying that that has solved all our problems. We need healthcare. However, that's just not the, the first and foremost thing, right? Yeah. Folks have, you know, literally, all, we can't get haircuts. You know what I mean? We can't right. get these these folks were not only pillars in our communities, but these folks, you know, salons, beauty style. This how this how a lot of our people were eating. Yeah. You know, the, the first thing that comes to mind for us isn't always what the problem is for white folks. Mm -hmm. However, our voting patterns seem like the first thing that comes to mind for us are the problems for white folks. Right. So why shouldn't we demand that if you want our vote, which is the vote? You know, it's like if you follow football, it's the third down specialist, right? You know, if we need 10 yards, we're going to get you three yards. If you need one yard, we're going to get you three yards. But yeah. we're still a minority, right? So we're going to have to use our vote in a way that's saying whoever wants it. And I don't care if it's Democrat, Republican, uh, somebody from Pluto. If you're going to really take reparations serious, then that's where we need to have some conversations. Yeah. And. Yeah. And to um, and to support your point, you know, like I'm out here on the streets and we're trying to rally folks to vote. And so one of the things that I've discovered about white supremacy is that it's created to make you tired. Like mm -hmm. that is that oh, yeah. is that is what white supremacy does. It makes you tired. And I see the defeat in black people's faces because we have been like left out so much. We have given up on even trying to fight for what we need. And it's almost like, man. We don't trust no systems. We don't yeah. trust nobody. Everybody who's skin and kin, we get black people in office. We get Ben Carson's in office. Oh, yeah. So, you get so ben, turn on your people. So let me ask you a question about that, right? So I feel like this is a subject that can get people, if they truly, fully understood it, could rally people to really come to the polls. and Well, not just come to the polls, but hold leadership's feet to the fire. You want to get in office, then you got to address this issue. Yeah. Surprisingly to me, and I think I mentioned this to you guys earlier, I, I was taking a look at Joe Biden's platform and it was it struck me that he actually had one of his pillars on there is creating a panel or creating a group to study 
Mm -hmm. uh, reparations and what that would look like. Not necessarily saying that he co-signs it or he agrees with it or he plans to do anything about it, but the fact that that was one of the pillars in his platform and that he wanted to uh, create a consortium to basically come together and study that. So how do you get people excited about that? Is it that you educate them on what it looks like? Is it that you educate them with the benefit to them? Because most people won't do stuff unless they actually know how it directly impacts their lives. So before you answer, I want to actually just jump in real quick into your question, McDonald. And it's something that Javante said. I think that and, and Javante is probably going to pick it up. I think we need to do like a dual action. And that is vote, but also secure our neighborhoods and secure our wealth. And I think what happens with black people, why we've been so defeated is because we put all our chips in one basket and depended on candidates to do yeah. for us what we can do for ourselves. So I was feeling Javante when he was saying, man, we need to start policing our own neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. We need to build Black Wall Street, which mm -hmm. was the first terrorist act in America and yeah. stop depending on America to give us what we need. So that's kind of how I see it. I know Javante probably has some ideas and thoughts about that as well. Yeah, you, you can't hop off into politics without an economy. Without a strong right. economy, you can't hop off into anything that relates to anything without a strong economy. You can't hop off into soci sociological issues uh, mm -hmm. without a strong economy. And what I mean by that is, you know, there there are the businesses that do exist primarily exist in black neighborhoods. The folks who can spend more with those businesses don't live in those neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, after Trayvon Martin, um, it, it was interesting. I was I was living in Singapore um, and I was I was in Singapore. Actually, my family hadn't moved over yet. I had been over for about a month and a half and I was on my way to uh, go get them when the verdict came out. The Zimmerman verdict came out um, specifically. And um, on Facebook, I just rattled off sort of like, hey, here are 10 steps that we can do. And then my wife coined it this back to blacklist. But the first thing on there was simple as move back into black neighborhoods mm -hmm. because the physicality of where we are has a lot to do with how we spend our money. Mm -hmm. So you can easily go get a croissant from your local grocer. Right. So y'all are there. You know, you can go to Tom Thumb or wherever. If you know, I think y'all in Dallas, you know, if you in Florida, you know, you go to Publix, you can get a yeah, croissant. You got Tom Thumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you're if you're in a if you're in if you're in a you know um, Oak Cliff, Opalaka. yeah, or Opalaka, <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe there's a maybe there's a black baker there, you know, and and no, you're not gonna go out of your way to go and support them for a croissant, but if it's on the way home from work, absolutely they're gonna get more of your business. So when you strengthen the black uh, economy, you strengthen black community. When you strengthen black economy, then you can make demands of politicians because the politicians are going to follow tax dollars. Right. So if I'm a high income earner. Right. So I'm speaking to a specific group right now, the talented 10, because I, I am I, I, Du Bois is my man. Right. I believe in a lot of what Du Bois said in terms of the talented 10. If, if we're saying you know, we're going to be the ones that lead the rest of us somewhere. It's got to be in every inch of our soul. It can't just be in how we talk, but it's also in how we walk, also how we spend. Our expenditures have to be that way. So that is number one. But when we get to the when we get to the topic of politics, we have to really understand what we are playing for. 
right? And so when we're when, when we're playing politics now, it's the bottom of the ninth. It's two outs, and we're down by two runs, and we don't we the only ones up to bat, and there's one man on base maybe, right? So we, this this thing ain't working unless we hitting home runs, right? Okay, so and, and and I just want to be mindful of. Um, you mentioned in the beginning, you know, self-proclaimed a lot of things, but history buff is one of them. That all of our rights came in a time where the Supreme Court was extremely conservative. Okay, and I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that it looked like very implausible for it to happen. Uh, we did not have friends in the White House. LBJ called the Civil Rights Bill the nigger bill. Mm -hmm. He got it done, though. He got it done from pressures of folks who did not vote for him. Mm -hmm. Okay, so all of our major wins, when you go back to 1964, 65, 66, uh, and 60, I'm sorry, 1864, 65, 66, and 68, when they passed, uh, well, first Emancipation Proclamation, uh, Sherman Order Number 15, the 13th, 14th, 15th amendments, um, we weren't voting. Mm -hmm. You know, but pressure was applied in other ways, right? And I'm not, this is not a rally for folks not to vote. But I just, when I hear people say, you know, our life depends on us voting and voting to get Trump out of office, our goal can't be defense. Right. We got runs <laughs> on the board right now. We we can't we we're not gonna win to say we're up to bat now. We'd rather play defense. Right. It's not gonna work that way. We right. gotta do something more than what is conventional wisdom. Yeah, because white folks play offense, man. They buy politicians. Oh yeah. They just buy them straight up. <laughs> you oh, know, going yeah. cost for a politician on yeah. a local level is about a hundred thousand. I mean, city council, fifteen thousand. They buy yeah. them, they got them in their pocket, and they vote their special interest. So let's, right. let's, so let's get to the meat and potatoes. Let's 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 put it out there. What what let's say Javante was running for president and you had a I'm voting for him right now. <laughs> and, you, and you had a platform, right? And your primary pillar is reparations. Yeah. Paint a picture of what that looks like. Okay, so 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 first I wanna I wanna talk about what it doesn't look like. Okay. Uh, it does not look like us infighting about who gets what. Okay, because um, I want to I want to dispel this because I hear a lot of folks say, "Oh, we, we don't even know who's black these days or whatever." People right. classify themselves as biracial, or they say they're black, but they're not African Americans. So there are forty million black folks in this country. Okay, ten percent are descendants of immigrants, not slaves, immigrants, or you know, I think like 2% are actual immigrants today, but some may be children of immigrants, all this stuff. So you're talking about 4 million black folks. I just want to do simple math. We're talking about $12 trillion is the magic number. We got 40 million black folks. When you divide that out, that's going to be about $300,000 per person. Okay. And we'll get to it in a second, but I'm not saying everyone gets a check for $300,000. But what I'm saying is we're not talking about a grand number of, of monies that are available for folks to be fighting over who gets what. What I mean by that is this, 36 million would be the number if we excluded all immigrants or descendants of immigrants. If you can't show that you were a descendant of a slave or if you can't show that you were saying you were black prior to two censuses ago, 
then you're excluded. That's 4 million black folks. Okay. So the number doesn't change per person. You're going to get up to $333,000. So first thing I want to do is say black folks don't need to be fighting over who gets what, who is not important. What could it look like? Okay. There are a lot of discussions about what it could look like. This is what I think will correct a lot of wrongs. So I like to start with number one off top, no income tax for 99 years. Why are we paying taxes but being treated as second-class citizens? That's number one. No business tax for 99 years. We've been kept out of creating businesses. Our businesses have not been able to grow because folks pay business tax, expecting SBA to do a lot of things for them, and they have done the opposite for Black folks. Okay, so no business tax for 99 years. No mortgage interest for 99 years. So we get... If the house costs $200,000, we get 30 years to pay off $200,000. Right. Okay. So not, you don't get, you, it's not 230. It's not 250. It's not 300,000 that you pay over 30 years. It's you paying exactly what that house costs. No mortgage interest. And this is backed by the government. The government's paying for this. Okay. Um, we get obviously all the healthcare. We get, we get free healthcare. I absolutely need it. Um, African-American history is taught in every public school and is required to graduate high school in this country. We get free education in every public institution in this country. So if you want to go to Harvard, you know, you got pay. But if you want to go to FAMU, which is a state school, public school, you can do that for free, you know, no matter where you live. Right. So these are some of the things that are just fundamental programs similar to what has happened for the Native Americans, the few that are left, uh, some of the programs that they have put in place for them as well. And I think that is gonna cover a lot of ground for us. We spend, you know, the, your, your biggest expense is taxes. And after that, it's your housing. So when you look at your, your family budget or just your P&L overall, you're putting a lot of money back into folks' pockets to be able to do different things. Right. You know, it was really interesting when, uh, when I was living in, in Asia, uh, I was at uh, in Singapore. If you've seen pictures of Singapore, you've seen this building. It looks like a cruise ship is on the top of these, you know, these three pillars. That's the uh, Marina Bay Sands. It's a, it's, mm -hmm. it's a casino, um, and at the top of it, there's this this restaurant uh, restaurant bar called Coup d'État. So up there, um, talking, met this guy, white guy, super cool. He was like from somewhere, like probably Boston or something. I, I can't exactly remember. Um, and we were just talking very similar. We were in our early 30s at the time. And, you know, night was going on, a few drinks back. And he's like, dude, it's so funny how similar we are. We're like the same, bro. I feel like, you know, we just, and it was cool. It was a cool conversation. But I stopped him in the middle of my buzz and was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. We ain't the same. I was like, so you told me, and I can't remember, it wasn't Harvard, but it, was, it may have been Cornell or something like that. I was like, you told me you went to Cornell, right? And then you say your dad went to Cornell, right? And then where your granddaddy go to school? You like he went to Cornell too? I said, okay. My grandma was a drug dealer, amongst many other things. We ain't the same. We in the same space, but clearly, and you know, I stun on him like I feel I'm more brilliant. I got to where you are, and I did not have those advantages. What's my point in saying this? How many of us people look at Mike Zuck Mark Zuckerberg? You know. It, Compare him to a Jay-Z or a Kanye who's crazy as hell. But, you know, the fact that is 
these guys become billionaires with a lot less. Right. So you look at a, 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 a Robert Smith, compare him to a Bill Gates. You know, didn't start in the same place. But so how many of us didn't get to where we were going because we had so many fetters on us? Right. And so reparations can undo a lot of that. It can unfetter us in a way where we can exponentially probably catch up if some of these things were put in place. So I got a question, Javante. I love the plan that you put together and that you expressed um, in a few minutes ago. What would you say to somebody who says, OK, yeah, we, we implement that plan. Do we still do we need to do away with affirmative action? Does affirmative action cease to exist? Hey, we could do away with affirmative action, because if you look at the numbers, it's helping white women more than black folks anyway. That's true. That's number one. You know, 25 percent of 25 uh, percent of, of of Americans work in large corporations, corporate America. Yeah. Okay? And at best, at best, companies who do it well are employing 10 percent black folk. Mm -hmm. okay, so yeah. just numbers and do the math. Yeah. Most yeah. I did a, and that's a good point, because I remember doing a study on nonprofit management and most of the most of the uh, CEOs of the nonprofits that are servicing in African-American communities are led by white women. Yeah. And the only black people that are on there are treasurers or underworkers. The whole yeah. like, the whole staffing. So white women win and they get in all that federal grant money and they are servicing in yeah. impoverished communities. So that's an excellent, excellent point that you made just now. Yeah. So, so some of the programs that there was a window, there was a there was a window when affirmative action was really winning for black folks. It was about 1968 to 1986. Studies have been done to show that. But a lot of things changed in that time. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you had um, you had Nixon come in, who was very much a proponent of it. OK, even though he's a lot of other things, including the Southern strategy and all of this stuff. But he was a proponent of affirmative action. Um and, and after Nixon, you had Carter, but but Reagan looked to do undo a lot of what Carter did because Carter is historically considered a very bad president. Right. And everybody was voting for Reagan. Yeah. And one of the things that Reagan said was, "Hey, this isn't a, this is unfair because he started talking about equality, and there's a difference in what we're looking for. We're not looking for equality. Yeah. That was something that we were looking for when we didn't have it. Right. Yeah. I want equity. equity now." Right. And the big difference is, is one pie. So equality is, okay, somebody got three pieces and I only have zero. And now, okay, from now on, one for me, one for you. That's what's been happening in the best, in the best case scenario. Mm -hmm. We say, no, it's only six pieces of pie in here. You already got three. I need those other three. Yeah. So, so go, go ahead, finish, finish your thought and, I, and I'll continue after that. So, so Reagan started to undo anything that looked like equity and basing on equality. And Bush followed up with that. And so the beneficiaries, and the, and the laws are written in a very interesting way, but the beneficiaries since that time have largely been white women because to hit diversity numbers, white women are included. Yeah. You know, so so um, and not to say they should not be. But um, when you look at corporate America, which I'm a part of, and um, you look across the board and you see that there are only five black CEOs of Fortune 500 right. corporations, those numbers don't add up. That's not an equitable distribution of the population of this country. 
And we have to keep in mind that the paradigm is never that we're inept. Okay. And right. when you, there is a role higher than CEO in corporate America, it's called the board of directors. Yep. And when you look at the corporate boards of directors, the numbers oh, are right. even more dismal. They're more dismal, right? Yeah, right. Where the real money makers are, so where you can become millionaire, multimillionaire, create generational wealth in corporate America, we ain't been hitting that for a long time anyway. So affirmative action, yeah. I mean, if we're going to give that up and get reparations, I think we'd be okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think all that, everything that you just said is, is really great. And I think that for the average person that probably thought that there was some outlandish ask tied to, uh, uh, I said affirmative action, but reparations um, could probably easily digest this. But for the average white person, right, that may see this video, that may think like, oh gosh, they're coming to get our stuff. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to why this is actually a benefit yeah. to folks that don't look like us? So I, I love the little, the teaser that you put together. You took the, the line from, from Nipsey, right? He said, I need some real nigga reparations. You see my shirt right now, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you always be geared up, man. First of all, let's just talk about that for a second. The hat is banging, the shirt. <laughs> I got a plug. I told my homegirl, I got to plug her. This is a chocolate chick tease. It's, wait, let me go over here. Right. That's what's up, man. That's what's yeah. up. Yeah, send us the IG and all yeah. that afterwards. Yeah, yeah. She's based in uh, Dallas, too. She's based okay. in Dallas. Yeah, yeah. I'm, the only, I'm the only colonized one wearing a Ralph Lauren t-shirt. So <laughs> please forgive me. <laughs> but, but you know what you get, what black, what, 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 what the majority of white folks that are not around black people, um, that didn't grow up with black people, are not used to black people, what they're scared of is the horrible stereotypes that have been painted of us over, over the last 40 to 50 years. Right. And, but MLK said it in a, in a much more refined way than Nipsey Hussle. Uh, he said, wherever there is no strong economy, immorality will surely prevail. Mm -hmm. right. right. And so what we're talking about is if you want to really make America great again, you're going to have to start with, with Muhammad, Muhammad Yunus, uh, who is the founder of the Grameen Bank, uh, microfinancing, microlending. He's a Bangladeshi. Um, he's won the Nobel Prize for a lot of his work in microeconomics. He calls it the least common denominator. And every society has a least common denominator. Um, and, and, and so what a least common denominator is, is a, a, a very simple thing, is who's doing the worst in that society. Mm -hmm. And so I don't care if you're looking at economic statistics or you're looking at health statistics or you're looking at imprisonment rates or you're looking at recidivism rates. Uh, if you're looking at morbidity rates, we're doing the worst. OK, so you cannot be strong without your weakest doing better. It just right. doesn't work that way. Right. So we have to have a real conversation about how do we get better and all of the rising tides lift all boats who even Obama was really a fool for saying that, um, it just it just has never worked for black folks. Mm -hmm. It never worked for black folks, right? That is Reaganomics. The rising tide lifts all boats is Reaganomics. It is definitely center of the road, a moderate view of if we do things for the majority, then everyone will be taken care of. But history tells us a completely different story when it's for Africans in America. It just doesn't work for us that way. So we have to do some things. We didn't get here um, in, an, in a non-descriptive and a non-specific way. So we have to be very descriptive and specific 
to cure the root cause and not address the symptoms. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, man. You know, sometimes, man, I sit down and I say the social experiment of blacks in America ain't working. Yeah. We need this. Uh, we need to make this mass exodus and go back to our, where we belong, our home, because we are here just trying to figure it out. And yeah. every time we take two steps forward, it's like we go, you know, four steps backwards because as, as you know, white supremacy is just embedded and enrooted in this country's DNA. And, and I think it's even more more vivid now with the advent of social media because yeah. folks, black folk been talking about, yo, we, police are killing us. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been saying that for years, but now, yeah. you know, matter of fact, let's use COVID-19. COVID-19 has revealed the inequality of our health, you know, our health infrastructure. Right. And, right. and the sad part is that, you know, these governors are opening up states and they know essential workers are African-American people. Mm-hmm. Well, they just don't care about yeah. it. But as long as their their pockets are filled, we're indispensable. I, I, I want to share this one story. I don't know how much time we have, but, but you know, I, yeah, we I, got always, time. I always go back to history. Right. So coming out of World War Two uh, and, and the New Deal had been signed and, and, you know, black folks have been back for a while. So a Philip Randolph, Asa Philip Randolph who was the leader of of the Pullman Brothers, um, a a black union. He's really the godfather of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. He had got a meeting in the White House. And this is is very important because, you know, black folks weren't allowed in the White House after Teddy Roosevelt let Booker T. Washington into the White House. Mm -hmm. And that was like, he might as well have had had a black woman in his bed because you know, white folks lost it. Right. So his nephew, cousin, nephew, second cousin, you know, the older cousin. So his nephew, basically, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, invited Asa Randolph off the strength of his wife, Eleanor Roosevelt, to the White House. And so A. Philip Randolph was in there saying, look, man, you know, y'all, y'all tripping. Like these things, we, we can't get anything. We can't organize. We get, you know, we we're getting it coming and going. This is about 1947. And FDR said, I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm going to say something to you that you probably are going to think is cruel. You'll probably think it's cruel. I don't care. <laughs> and he said, you know, I don't care because my constituents don't care. Mm-hmm. If you want me to care, make me care. Hmm. So A. Philip Randolph left with that. And that is what really birthed the conversations and talk of the civil rights movement. And the history books tell us it's not really something that really kicked off until seven years later, 1954, Brown versus Board, 1955, Montgomery bus boycott. Uh, But the work had started right then. A. Philip Randolph went back, started organizing, Urban League, NAACP, everything. He said, we have to make more noise. We can't play this silent role anymore. And so this is where we're at right now is that, yeah, absolutely, we are losing, but we have to be very specific. We cannot just simply say Trump is evil. White supremacy is evil. Right. (laughs) Trump is a fruit of the tree. He is not the tree. Right. So what are we looking to dismantle? That's right. You got to cut down the whole tree. Our collective voice and agenda behind throwing away a fruit. Right. Right. Make no sense. 
we 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 just we're too we're we're too talented for that. We're too amazing. We've we we're the originators. We're the original. We we can do more, and we owe it to ourselves to advance where our ancestors left us. You know, and and so the reason I'm I'm harboring on that is because what is the next frontier? What's the next frontier? If it's not reparations, yeah. is it simply to ensure that we play defense and we make sure that overt races are are kept out of our most prestigious positions in this country where we're second class citizens? It's got to be more than that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Man. Well, look, man. Um, I know what I'm working on with the group of pastors out here is building the beloved economy and building the beloved community. And so what we're doing is looking at what we have and we've written out a strategic plan of how that looks like and what that looks like. And it's not contingent and dependent. So we're basically saying this, it is Dallas, you can get with this, or if you don't, we gonna do this anyway. And so that means we, we're, we're keeping our property. We're not selling it to you. Yes. We are building on our land. You can yeah. lease it from us or you can you can get with the program or not. So I'll put it up there where we've written out a full list of yeah. demands, of lists that we have come with. And it's woke pastors. It ain't unfortunately it ain't no pastors from my <laughs> denomination because yeah. my denomination ain't woke. And I know I always get in trouble every time I say that. <laughs> but I'm working with some woke pastors to develop that, you know, going back to MLK's beloved community yeah. and yeah. fighting for jobs and demanding that, you know. That we that we stand up for ourselves and not wait for other people, and I think that's like the problem that I have with us as pe as a people. And what you stated is, we, you know, we are the inventors. Yeah, we don't have we don't need white validation. We don't that's need right. approval to do that's anything right. that we need to do. We got everything, McDonald. You are a genius. You know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> like what you do with your family and then Ryan and Crown, Javante. You are right. a genius and a gift. All the people watching this are genius and gifts and. Once we stop seeking white validation and approval, that's right, dude. Right. Man, we'll be that's we'll be right. there. Let me ask one last question before we close out. So, a lot of great ideas, a lot of great discussion, and so forth. But the thing that I always am fearful of is the unification of messaging, mm -hmm. the unification of people behind an idea, mm -hmm. and leadership. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've always grappled with is why are we so, I mean, outside of every other nation, every other race, we're the only ones that seem to be so fractured. Mm. How do you get everyone unified behind, you know, one prevailing idea, uh, one prevailing message and one mm. common goal and getting everyone on the same page? Because if we're fractured, I mean, I don't know how you get this all to work. So, so history says we've always been fractured. Mm -hmm. For every du, du Bois, there was a, a, a Booker T and a Garvey, right? Uh, you know, the Malcolm Martin, Roy Wilkins. None of these people were on the same page, right? Uh, you can go back further than that, right? I mean, it, 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 it I, I could do this all day, right? Right. You know, even and it's not just us, right? You, you look at the, the, if you look at the history of Asia. And you look at what uh, you know, Mahatma Gandhi did. Um, he was not popular. He he died by assassination. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. he was, you know, and and there was a different school of thought. 
for how they wanted to free themselves from colonizers. Uh, it was no different in Singapore and in, in Malaya, which is now Singapore and Malaysia. There's two countries because they were fractured. Right. Okay. So, so history says that, but, but one thing that was for sure is there was a, 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 a link and a, and there was a focus on the goal. And what, what makes me cringe the most is how easily uh, we will hand over our babies and our children to white thought in education and everything else, right? So, you know, my daughter, two weeks ago, she hated me because I made her memorize, learn, and sing to the top of her lungs the Negro National Anthem. Mm-hmm. But then we talked about she's you know eight going on nine, but we talked about what those lyrics meant hmm. and what that was saying and why it was so important that she understood what that was now, not later. Because if we can all understand our framework, the first we're African people, we are black folk. Okay, so that is that is an underlying theme of we should be connected. And then when you look at that from that lens, well, how are we being treated? The solutions may differ, but the end goal should be the same. And that's what keeps me optimistic. And as long as our leaders talk like that and don't talk like a Ben Carson or, you know, someone else, you know, even even uh, some of these uh, more conservative cats like, uh, you know, Walt Williams, I, I think his name is Walter Williams. I can get with him a little bit, uh, but he starts talking crazy when he's like, we should just forget about everything in the past. <laughs> nah, but... Nah. Get with some of these because I okay, you have a different point of view on how to get there, but you understand that we are a people and we need to go somewhere. That is the thing that I'm scared about. That, but overall, I'm not scared about if there are a couple different ways that we we feel like we can skin the cat. Yeah, but ask if you feel like you are pro black because you go into a voting booth, but then you go vote for somebody who ain't got a pro black agenda or a black agenda at all. Nah, right. it's got to be more than just taking that time to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, the other, the other group that I don't want to leave out of this discussion is the black church. Oh yeah. The black church is a pivotal piece to the advancement of black people because the most powerful day in the black community is Sunday. It is the only day when poor blacks, rich blacks, educated blacks, sit down in one room. Oh, you can't get all them black people in one room. Yeah. And then we got the nerve to get up there to shuck and jive, sing right. and dance, and we don't talk about right. empowering our own people. And you know, that, have- that's what bothers me, man. The black church is, is the central figure to the advancement of colored people. Well, I say colored people, but yeah. to black people. And the black church has been silent when it, yeah. comes to, when it comes to that. And they have been complicit with the white supremacist agenda yeah. By just giving black people an opioid every Sunday and Saturday, you know, and they just yeah. go on about their business. Yeah, now y'all, y'all ain't taking none of them faith based grants, right? I just <laughs> <laughs> that's usually the, that's usually the tie right there. You got to right. party street, right? But yeah. but I, I I commend you for what you were doing, Pastor. Uh, what you guys are doing is amazing. Um, you know, in Dallas, I've I frequented uh you know Friendship West a lot. Uh, cause pastor Haynes over there, he's a, he's a, he's on the tree of, uh, um, you know, yeah, and, and just black. to shout out the Dallas black clergy, the org, yeah. he's on that coalition too. Yeah. So we all working together. Yeah. My church, his church, 
and That's we're trying to push this agenda for black folks. So it's a beautiful thing. And people have said, you know, you know, I've talked about that and specifically him. That's who I'm most familiar with in Dallas and churches that I visit. And be like, I don't like to hear all that, you know, social justice every day. I'm like, what else is there to talk about? <laughs> talking about Jesus, right? I mean, you're talking about Jesus. That's what was, that was his thing. Right. Oppressed. So we got to, you know, this is what we're talking about. So I'm, I'm with you all of the way. And I'm also with you in understanding that the black church is in a state of atrophy because mm -hmm. it was our strongest arm. Yeah. Right? get back there uh and i think we can get back there if if if, if more pastors are like you who mm -hmm. i would love to be in your church and 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 uh mcdonald i know you're from down here please point me to one i'm maybe 20 something years removed man i couldn't even help you brother. <laughs> but, but um but no but that i i think that you know it, it's important to say you know folks like to say and i i will never let um I'm, I'm i grew up baptist raised in the church choir boy uh i believe in the black church for all that it's worth um and i know that uh but i'm i'm also not a fool right so i know i've seen uh the message has gotten to one to be more charismatic evangelic and even more so it's all we've always had that opiate type of christ because we need it yeah. We need the same way as we got opiate food and the right. same way we got opiate drugs. We need our Jesus to be a little bit of, you know, make us feel good because Sunday, we need to feel that Sunday. White Jesus going to kill you. Right. right. <laughs> we, need to hear that. we need to hear what happened Thursday night and Friday and Saturday for sure. Right. So, yeah. You know, it's, it, and if we get back to that, right. Um, in the his history of the of the black churches, it always has been the epicenter of our communities. And we can get back to that. You know, if um, I love to hear what you guys are doing and I hope it, you know, I love to hear you talking about not selling your land. Um, and I hope it's encouraging folks to move back near the churches, yeah. move back near our people, because all it takes is 10 families. If we can just get 10 families, we could change schools. The public schools won't be as bad because I tell you, any church, any any school I'll go into, if my children are in there, I'm I'm causing problems if things ain't looking right. Right. You know, and so you know that, and if I get ten, just ten like me, or ten out of y'all can see I'm amp. I stay. I, <laughs> but if I get some brothers in there who's on six and seven with me, we we could do a lot of damage. You yeah. Know? yeah. Right. I just want to say, man, look, man, you you brought up something about this platform, and that you know when we were talking about even having this platform to even do any types of shows on this. We we wanted to keep it funky, man. Like everything is on the table. Um, we're not going to mince words or try to say things because we want to pacify people. Um, there's enough platforms for that. So if that's what you're looking for, this ain't it. Uh, we're we're, we're going to talk about everything. And um, to our viewers, you know, if there's, if there's a topic or a subject that you'd like us to touch on, you know, let us know, drop a comment, you know, reach out to myself or Jamie. And we'll, and we'll talk about it. But um, absolutely, man, we appreciate you coming on, dropping the gems that you did uh, unabashedly and, and your passion. It, it shows. And, and I just appreciate you, man, more than I have before already, man. I, I really do appreciate you. You make me proud to be from FAMU for real, for real. And uh, like I said, Jamie, man, you got to get your weight up, man. You got to get somebody from your I'm going to come with some heavy hitters, man. I'm going to come with some heavy hitters. You're making me look bad out here. But, yo, Javon, it's all for the cause, man. All for the cause. Yo, you are a genius, man. I love your brain. I love how you think. Please don't uh, put a muzzle on it. Share your thoughts and ideas. 
Um, our, gen our kids need to hear it. They need to grow up and they need to continue to fight this good fight. And so, man, just thank you for, for who you are, man, and for what you do and for, for jumping on this with us. Appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you all for having me, man. Anytime I can get an outlet to, to espouse my views, I appreciate it. But, but more than that, uh, I've been tuning in to some of the other shows and I really appreciate the work you guys are doing. Keep it up, please. Appreciate it, man. With that said, man, this is two really dope dudes, man. Check us in next time, same time, same channel, same website. We appreciate you all and good night. Yeah, don't forget to hit that like button and that share. Enjoy this uh, music as you uh, as you as you bounce. This is common hymnals called Rose Petals, man. So be blessed.